0: they have snacks in children's worship? No? Hmm. No? Okay. <laughs> I was thinking if they did, I might go with them. Anyway. Um, okay, we uh, have begun uh, b- back again our uh, look into the Old Testament book of Numbers. Last week we looked at Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, at uh, kind of the first complaint uh, of the... Uh, 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 God's people and today we're going to look at uh the second complaint actually more than second complaint there's a number of complaints by a number of complainers uh in today's text uh and it's quite a complex set of complaints that we need to unpack um it um, um well it's just a great passage um as again, one of the things that I always say to my kids when they say, how can you believe the Bible? And one of the ways I can say that I believe the Bible is this seems like a pretty accurate description of reality to me complaining. And so, uh, looks like the people I know and uh, looks like me. So, um, maybe you'll find yourself in this text today. I don't know. Uh, Uh, Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 35. The text is uh, in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I can smell it. <laughs> but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, one of the things that's interesting is Moses breaks off here as he's talking about the complaint to tell us, in case you didn't know, that the manna actually was pretty good, right? That's why he goes into a a, a description here. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the word that's used there in the Hebrew to talk about the cakes is dainty. So it's pretty good, dainty, right? And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Uh, And why would you complain at the door of your tent? Why would you do that? Why not complain inside your tent? Well, if you complain at the door of your tent, everybody gets to share. (laughs) Yeah, let's share. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I've been to many of your homes over the years and seen, you know, like uh, cross-stitched verses. This is one I've never seen. <laughs> if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh I might put this in my office. Um, Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. So that you may not bear it yourself alone and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up. And it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth-Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth-Hatava, the people journeyed to Hatseroth, and they remained at Hatseroth. So quite a a, a profound passage, and uh, one that is... uh, well, it's really hard to read, isn't it? And, and the and the reason why it's uh, it's hard to read is, um, well, we'll get into that um, uh, a little bit more. But I'm sure for many of us this was a this was a challenging passage in in many ways. Um, I don't know if you followed the news at all this week, uh, the last couple of weeks. Maybe you didn't need to follow the news. Maybe this happened to you. But uh, the flu season this year is the worst it's been in years. Um, about three times as many reported flu cases so far this year as the same time as last year. It's bad, right? Yesterday I was at the gym and I was running on the treadmill and the guy next to me was coughing a lot. Now, this concerned me because I, uh, uh, in a moment of trying to figure out how this works, I Googled, you know, show me what it looks like when somebody coughs or sneezes so you can see the cloud of virus and how it spreads. So I did that, and I was like, wow, wow, it's everywhere. Just like these quail are several feet deep, viruses are several feet deep all around us right now. And and they were piling up around me on the treadmill so that I couldn't run. And, and so I moved... So I moved away from this guy and he could tell because I kept looking at him every time he coughed, trying to send a message, you know, the, the, you know, my body language and my attitude to him to be like, stop this or move. And he didn't take the bait. So I moved and he was offended. And so of course he came and found me at the treadmill I was at and got next to me. And, and he's like, why did you move away from me? And I'm like, cause you're coughing, dude. He's like, it's just allergies. And I'm like, you're a liar. I, I don't believe you. I'm, I'm moving away. I'm staying away, which, you know, really should help you as we come to the Lord's table here in a little bit and you get to put your hand in where 500 other people have put their hand. And if it's a small crumb in the plate, you can just lick your finger and stick it in there (laughs) and do it like that. I've, I've done that before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Flu is contagious, germs are contagious, Uh, but it's not the only thing that's contagious, is it? It's not the only disease we catch from one another, is it? Right? Um, One of the things that we note in this passage, you know, last week there was a complaint and God uh, kind of warned the people about the complaint. And then this week we have, uh, well, virtually everybody, everybody, uh, no one in this text is not complaining. Right? It spreads uh, pretty rapidly through the people. And Again, I want to be careful about how I see this, because one of the things that happens to us is when we read this text and we, we read, the, read Paul's commentary from 1 Corinthians 10, and our tendency when we look at this and we hear these complaints and we see this is to stand in judgment, right? To look at those people and say, shame on them for complaining. I would never do that. They're, they're so bad. Their complaining is so bad. I would never do that. Right. But the truth of the matter is the way the way we have to see this and the way we have to kind of unpack this is is actually to see ourselves as what that's what Paul intended with his warning to us in and among uh, these people, God's people, the people that he delivered who are dealing and struggling uh, there in the wilderness uh, with their God and with their complaint. So we'll 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 unpack this a little bit more and, and come at this uh, Um, uh, but again, let me just say to you, the, the goal of, of our looking at these complaints is, is not to complain less. Okay. Uh, go ahead and put my, put my notes up there. So uh, I came across this sentence this week when I was looking at this text which is a great uh, summary of what's happening here example is important sin is contagious memory is selective and diet is preoccupying right thought <laughs> that is a great description of exactly what's going on uh, in, uh, in 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 this in this text so let's let's begin to look a little bit here and see what's going on and see what we can we can draw from this so what we're told is the rabble uh has a craving. Now who is the rabble, right? Is that just another description? No, there's there are people who came out with uh, uh Israel out of Egypt who aren't really Israel, who aren't really a part of the people. We don't we don't know a lot about them, but what we know is for whatever reason they came and they have no real covenant connection to the people of God or to God himself. And so they immediately after they've been out there for like 14 15 months now begin to complain, uh, about, uh, about the manna, right? And so what happens is their complaint very quickly spreads. And so just like what, what, and this sounds like, you know, something that's very, would be very typical, right? They don't, they don't have the internet or anything like that to share their complaints with one another and build a complaining community. They just have the front door of their tent. And so they go outside the front door of their tent, probably eating the manna. And as they're eating the manna saying, wow, man, this manna, this is all I got to look at. I am so sick of this manna. Are you tired of this manna? Man, manna. I'm so tired of this manna. I wish wish we had some meat to eat. You know what? It was better when we were in Egypt because we had meat to eat in Egypt. And you know what? We didn't even have to pay for it. Well, of course you didn't have to pay for it. You were a slave, right? So so it's way better in in, in their way of thinking. Whatever situation they're in, they're living in freedom. They're living there in the wilderness. They're on their way to the the promised land. And yet what happens to them is they look around and they, they, they don't like the variety of the food uh, that uh, that's there, and so what happens is they build a community, they build an identity around the fact that you know we're tired of the manna, we want meat to eat, and in fact, not only do we want meat to eat, but it would be it was better when we had fish and onions and leeks and melons and cucumbers and all that stuff back in Egypt than what we have now, right? So very quickly they're complaining. Next slide, and so what happens is is the complaint comes up to Moses. And Moses takes all of this upon himself. He looks at this and he thinks, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? Moses, it says he was displeased, right? And he says, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me? Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Now, now you won't find that verse anywhere where God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to carry my people in your bosom to the promised land. God God never said that to him. That's that's Moses like, hey, God, you know, give me a break here. Where am I going to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people. Anyway, you get it, right? He keeps going on. I am not able to carry all this people alone. We could spend a whole week just talking about that. Who is he alone? Who's he talking to? The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness, right? And so, so what you see here is, is that is, if you could read this in, in uh, Moses' language, he refers to himself or uses the word I more than 20 times in his rant. I mean, he is, he is consumed with, with this. And he, he sees what's happening and it is infuriating to him. It is discouraging to him. And, and he sees himself as all alone. This is all on me. I don't have the resources to do this. I'm stuck. What am I going to do? And he immediately begins to blame God because Moses was doing just fine until God put him in this situation with this people and now he's stuck. Kill me now. It would be better for me just to be dead. I, you know, I I can't get any meat for these people. I can't lead them. They're too heavy for me. Just kill me. Kill me now. Now, what's interesting about this uh, uh, is as as we think about this, one of the things that we we you you might be tempted to think today is, well, you know, if I was those people and all I had to eat was manna, I might feel the same way. And that's, you know what? Good for you. There's some humility, right? You know, good good for you. That's a, that's a good place to start. But you know what? Here's, here's the thing that you have to see about this. When they say, I'd rather go back to Egypt, it was better in Egypt. They're not just saying the food was better than in Egypt but life was better in Egypt before this god came and lived among us it was better for us because we could kind of do what we wanted to do even though we were in slavery now now, now let's just let's just look at this a little bit more because maybe maybe you're like yeah those those people are really bad i'm not like that well let's 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 look at this a little bit more carefully why are the people They're traveling from Sinai out of slavery in the first place because they cried out to God and said, Will you deliver us? So he did. And now they're like, that was a bad idea. It was better when we had free food and we were slaves than it is to be where we are now. We would prefer that. And we would prefer not to have God living in the middle uh, in the middle of our camp. We would prefer not to have it this way. We would prefer to be back, even though we, I know, God, we cried out for deliverance. We didn't know what we meant. Right? And so what God's dealing with here is not just the issue that these people are upset about the food. This is not a this is not a customer complaint. This is not a consumer complaint. This is a complaint where they say, you know what? We prefer another god, and that god we prefer is ourselves. And beyond that, what is one of the things that you have to see about this is one of the the, one of the kind of practical things that you you may have missed when you've thought about the story or as you've come across it today is the impression that the people give is all they have to eat is manna. But doesn't Moses say, are we going to kill all our flocks? Do you not remember how many thousands of sheep they had? Do you not remember how many thousands of cows they had? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is there's tons of food. God is simply giving them the manna to fill in the gaps. They, they have more than enough. And they have a variety of food to eat. The problem is they just are unhappy and they preferred life before God came and drew close to them. It's no wonder that God is is angry and and upset because they're not just rejecting the food, they're rejecting him and they're elevating themselves to say, you know what? We're the ones who could call uh, the shots here. So what's God's response? Well, God very kindly comes to Moses and says, all right, raise up, get get the 70 guys that you can identify as they're as we read, read in the text, people who are registered, who the people kind of already follow and are respectful, bring them out to the tent of meeting and I'll take some of the spirit and I'll put it on them and they will lessen your burden. And so we have this great story where they go out there. And again, one of the ways one of the ways that I, I believe this text is so they go out there and they prophesy, but there are two guys who don't go. <laughs> they didn't write it on their calendars, maybe their their blackberry didn't work. you know, after all, this is ancient, right this, They had blackberries back then. Nobody has that anymore, right so uh, they didn't work, they missed the appointment, but that doesn't keep God's spirit from falling upon them anyway. they're prophesying. And a young man thinks, oh, no, I need to tattle because they're doing something out of order and they shouldn't do it. And so he goes and he tells Moses and Joshua, Moses's assistant, says, hey, you need to stop them. Now, why do you think he said you need to stop them? Is it because Joshua is super concerned about proper church order? Or is it because if this prophesying gets out of control and it's out of Moses's hearing, Moses's Moses's position of leadership here might be threatened. But one of the things that I admire about Moses, one of the things that I think is great about him is that he has the humility to say, you know what, or maybe not the humility, I don't know, but he's like, I wish all of God's people prophesied. Because you know why? If they're prophesying they 're not complaining right i 'll take that even if even if it puts me uh, in a bad light, even if these people might actually prefer their leadership over mine i 'll take and so not only does this God uh, meet Moses's complaint by raising up these 70 elders and giving them a share of his spirit. He also sends quail, f- literally feet of quail. Uh, the, it says that when the pe- people that got the least was like 11 bushels of quail, 11 bushels, that's the least that anybody took. Right Now, Now maybe my guess is there was a time in this country where people knew what quail were, and uh, they actually ate them. But now I think you have to go to pretty fancy restaurants to get quail. Right? Um, um, They're really good if you stick some sausage in them. Uh, Of course, anything's good if you put if you put sausage in it. But uh, they're about this big when you take the feathers off of them. They're tiny. They're, they look like uh, dwarf chickens, uh, tiny little drumsticks, about this long. Uh, uh, but they're very tasty, and uh, uh, um, it, it probably, probably most of you guys in here would probably need to eat three or four to make a meal out of it, right? Uh, to make it to make it worth your while. But God sends millions of them, and 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 in some ways, this this stack of quail around the camp piles and piles of them, should remind you a little bit about the way God dealt with the Egyptians when he piled the frogs up around them, right? I mean, there's a, there's a sense in which what God is doing here is saying, you know what? You asked for deliverance and I delivered you. Uh, you you needed water. I gave you water. You needed manna. I gave you manna. You needed meat. Now I'm going to give you meat. And I'm going to give you so much that uh, uh, you're, you're not going to be able. <laughs> it's going to come out of your nose. You're going to have so much of it, right? And so, so God is, is, is continuing to strive with these people and he is trying to teach them and, and lead them and provide for them by even meeting this, this kind of ungodly and ungrateful complaint by raining down this quail upon them. And even while this is happening, we read that a plague strikes the people and a number of the people, a number of the complainers die that God deals very directly with them in this situation. And in fact, the name now of this location there in the desert is called the Graves of the Craving, right? Which is what a profound thing to think about, right? That this this is the place where the people who were craving, who had intemperate desires, ended up dying, right? So what to... What are we to make of this? Well, Paul seems to think in First Corinthians ten that the problem here is not just a, a, a desire for of a, 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 a variety of food, but the idolatry of self. So, so what's happening here is is that the people have determined themselves that they know better, uh, and that their desires and their appetites and and their wants are are their god, and that this. And not only are they their, their God, but they're justified in having them as their gods because they're the gods who are making their themselves their gods. And so, you know, the fact is this other God who, who doesn't do things the way we want to and doesn't deliver the way we want to and who doesn't strive with us in the way we want to, who raises up leaders that we don't like, who does all of these sorts of things. You know what? We We, we reject that God and we would rather go back to a time where there was no God like this in our lives. We'll manage just fine. And so what does, what does the Lord do here is the Lord is trying to, to shape and change and, and redirect these people. And so what he does is, is he, he gives Moses his elders, he gives the people their quail, he deals very directly and harshly with, with some of the complainers, and then what happens? There's another day, and the people get up, and they move to the next place. God doesn't stop. He doesn't quit. He doesn't say this experiment in uh, monotheism or this experiment in, in trying to create a covenant people, this experiment of being a God to a people and having those people belong to me is not working out anymore. I'll let them go back and we'll come up with plan B. There's another day and another place and another time. And God continues to strive and to pursue and to discipline, and to love, and to care for these people. If he doesn't do that, then there is no redemption. And so God continues, even with these people who look at him and say, we'd rather have another God, he doesn't give in to that complaint. And he doesn't turn them over even more to that. Because here's the thing. What we would tend to think about this is and the way we would tend to approach this is, you know, we need and this is the way we tend to approach the gospel in this situation is, you know what? I shouldn't complain. And some of you, as I said last week, of tender conscience are thinking, I complain too much. I need to find a way to discipline myself to complain less. And and what I need to do is I need to stop hanging out with the people who complain because it is, you know, honestly part of part of part of our issue with complaining is we complain at the fronts of our tents so that we can gather other complainers and so we can build some power and some sense of community not around the God who loves us who's leading us to the promised land, but to complain there's a there's a There used to be a principle in uh, that they used to teach us in church growth classes when I was in seminary called the homogenous something or other principle where you get groups of people who are alike together and uh, they'll draw other people who are alike together. Well, with what, what, you know, if, if the thing that makes you alike with someone else is, I don't really like you, but at least we can agree that we like this less. Then we can build a powerful community and change the world for the way I want it to be, Right. You know what it's like when you're around someone who's in a tough time, who's suffering, who's dealing with difficult circumstances, and they're encouraging, they're gracious, how awesome that is. And you know what it's like to come have a complaint and to begin the search to see if you can find someone else who shares that complaint with you right So what are we to do with this well we think that if we could just have an example or if we could just get better friends this this would 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 be the solution to this problem but the 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 issue for us is not that because i don't need an example because an example is only going to be out there in front of me and is only going to tempt me to say you know i need to be more like that person I need something bigger than that. Certainly, I need an example to for because I've never lived a day in my life where I didn't complain. So I need somebody to show me that you could actually breathe and live and function in this world without complaining because I'm not sure I ever have. But beyond that, I need something fundamental to change about me. I need something fundamental to change. And, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ does because he steps into this and he doesn't just go through life without complaining he does that but he actually takes the weight of my complaint upon himself he takes the weight of my my dissatisfaction the weight of my idolatry the weight of my intemperate desires and he bears them redeeming me so that what he does for me is not only that he sets an example but he pays the price for my complaining. He bears that in me. He loves me, pursues me, comes after me, steps all the way into my world, steps all the way into my desire, steps all the way into my death so that he can deliver me from my self-idolatry and free me from the constant grind, the constant temptation to simply look about the world, complain, disappointment, consistently and constantly. So, so what he does is something so different than that. It's not just that he sets a moral example, but he actually dies for my complaining. So that he is shaping me and setting me free and preparing me for a day where I will be free once and for all from my selfish complaining. You know, we read today in First Corinthians 10, the warning that this text is in the scriptures for us uh, to challenge us. Today, as I read to you the words of institution from First Corinthians 11, we're, we're going to read a warning in that uh, as well.